Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Father, if Jesus hadn't come for us, we'd be lost. If we didn't have your word this morning, we would be clueless, clueless as to the gospel, the love of God, so much more. Father, I pray that we would open your word this morning, that it truly might speak to us, help us to see you clearly this morning, to see our Savior clearly, to see ourselves, how we fit into your plan for this world clearly. We'll give you thanks. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let me begin by uh, asking you all a question this morning. How's your eyesight these days? Hmm? How's your eyesight these days? When you say, well, pretty good. I can see pretty well. My wife recently had uh, cataract surgery, and now she has, I guess, nearly 20-20 vision uh, in both of her eyes. She's seeing clearly for the first time in a long time. But that's not the kind of vision that I'm referring to this morning. What I, I am referring to is, do we see as well as Jesus did? Do we see as clearly as he did? I know I don't. Not most of the time, in any case. But what do you see or what do you discover when you talk to someone or meet someone? Well, you see what he or she looks like. Perhaps you find out what uh, that person enjoys doing in life or what he or she does for a living, where that person lives, is he or she single or married, does he have children, is he Republican or a Democrat, uh, how religious is the person, you might come away thinking, that's a pretty good person that I've just met, seems like a good man, good woman. Well, Jesus saw more than that, much more than that. And we must not be guilty of being short-sighted. And let me show you what I mean by looking at the text that Pastor Stan has read for us from Matthew 9, just a few short verses, 35 through 38. And if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to it or use the Pew Bible in front of you. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. I think it's... Uh, at least in our hearing, it's a familiar text, a familiar portion of Scripture. But it's a text that speaks of a harvest, and it speaks of laborers. The, in, in the context of it all, the Lord Jesus is beginning his third year and his, his final year of public ministry. And up to now, he's been preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Wherever he went, been presenting himself as the Messiah of God, the anointed one, the promised 
Messiah. And he's been doing that in both word and deed as well, by miracles. He demonstrated his miracles by his, his deity by performing various miracles. But now there comes a, a slight change in his work, in his ministry. And there will be now a change in the lives and ministries of the twelve who were his disciples. Up to now, they've been mainly listeners of everything he had to say. They've been followers of Christ. But now, Jesus begins to show the need to further involve these men more intricately, more perfectly or personally in ministry. And so we begin chapter 10, we see him sending out the 12 on their own ministry. And his concern for them is that they would see people the same way he did, seeing clearly as Jesus saw. And up to this point in time, Jesus has been doing all the work. He's been going through the entire area of, of Galilee, which was the northern uh, province or portion of, of Israel. And that was a huge territory. The historian Josephus said there were about 200 cities or villages or even small hamlets consisting of a total of about 3 million people in all of, of Galilee. And so that was a huge, vast task to accomplish. But verse 35 brings me to the heart of my text this morning. Seeing people, people you know or will meet for the first time, but seeing them as Jesus sees them. First, I want you to see the importance of seeing people clearly. The importance of seeing people clearly as Jesus did. Verse 35 says, He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary, scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. He sees the multitude. Well, he was always seeing the multitude, wasn't he? Wherever he went, there were huge and vast crowds gathering around him, all eager to see a miracle, all eager to hear him say something important. So he always sees the multitude, but he sees the multitude as individuals. He sees the multitude as individuals. God so loved the world. Yeah, but the world is made up of individual people. It's individual people that God loves, not an impersonal crowd, not an impersonal multitude. It says he sees the people and he has compassion for them. When he saw Mary and her friends weeping over the death of Lazarus, he was deeply moved by that. He had already wept for Lazarus, even though he knew he would raise Lazarus from the grave, from the dead. But he wept because he loved Lazarus. 
He wept because he loved people. Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's touched by that. He knows that. He feels all of that. Experiences all of that. The Gospels say he wept over the people of Jerusalem who had rejected him as Messiah. Why? Because he knew the consequences of that rejection. He knew what would come to them, what would happen to them. He miraculously feeds the multitude of thousands on more than one occasion. Why? Because he loved people. Because he cared for people. And over and over again, in so many different ways, in deed and in word, what Jesus is demonstrating is God loves people. The Pharisees didn't. Their view of God wasn't a God of love. But Jesus is showing that God cares and loves people. How does he see people? The text tells us he sees them as being weary and scattered like sheep. Like sheep having no shepherd. As Pastor read from Ezekiel, the scribes and the Pharisees in Israel, they were to be the carers of the people. They were to be the shepherds of Israel, but they failed miserably at that task. They didn't care, in reality, about people. They cared nothing about the people's eternal destiny. They had nothing at all to offer the people except a religion, a religion of the Pharisees that just laid burden after burden and weight after weight upon the people's shoulders. They were not shepherds. Ezekiel writes about the shepherds who fed themselves, cared only for themselves, and cared nothing for the sheep, the people of Israel. But Jesus comes along, and Jesus is different than the religious leaders of his day. Jesus sees people as sheep who need a shepherd. All sheep needed a shepherd. They needed a shepherd to protect them from the enemies, from wild animals. They needed a shepherd for provision. They needed a shepherd to lead them in the right direction because on their own, they wouldn't go in the right direction. They needed the shepherd to guide them to water or to guide them to a fresh new pasture to graze in. What does Isaiah say? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We need a shepherd. We've turned everyone to his own way. We need a shepherd. So Jesus comes along. Scripture says he is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. The Pharisees would never do that. The teachers of that day would never do that. But Jesus is the good and great shepherd who does exactly that. Why? Because he loves people. He loves people. Do we see people as Jesus did? 
When you see people or meet people, do you see them needing a shepherd? Do we see people as lost needing a shepherd? As lost needing a savior? Listen, every person you will ever meet in your life, that you will ever know, falls into one of two categories. They are either saved or lost. There's no other category. There's no middle ground. Everyone you know, everyone in this room this morning, is in one group or the other, saved or lost. And so when you see others, when you meet others, are you mindful of that? Are you mindful of that? My wife goes to a Jewish ophthalmologist, and she discovers that he's not saved, that he's lost. He's very Jewish, and so she asks him the question, do you read the Old Testament? And he says, well, yes, of course I read the Old Testament. And then her next visit, she hands him a booklet to read about Jesus being the promised Messiah of Israel. Why? Why did she do that? Because she knew he was a sheep who needed a shepherd, a savior. And so she wanted to say something, to do something, and so she gave at least the booklet. Saved or lost? That repairman that comes to your house to repair whatever appliance it is. Same is true of him. He's either saved or lost. No middle ground. That new neighbor who's just moved in near you or next to you is either saved or lost, needing a shepherd, needing a savior, needing Jesus. It's, it comes down to being as simple as that. How do we see people we know? Well, he seems to be pretty successful in life. I bet he makes a good living. Seems to be friendly. Why? He seems to have a good marriage. They seem like good people. That's a conclusion most of us come to when we meet new neighbors. We make judgments. But the more important question would be, are they saved? Are they saved? Nothing is more important, ultimately, than that question. Are they saved? Do we see people as clearly as Jesus did. People are either on the, what Jesus said in Matthew, on the broad road. And that road leads to destruction, to eternal destruction, to eternal judgment. And most people in the world are on that road, whether they realize it or not, no matter how good or religious they think they are. I was on that road once, and so were you, if you know the Lord. And if you were like me, I didn't know I was on that road until somebody told me. The broad road leads to destruction. Most people are on that. Or, Jesus said, on the narrow road. 
that relatively few people are on. Are you on that road this morning? Because that's the road that leads to eternal life. Few there are on that road. The importance of seeing people as clearly as Jesus did. We must not be short-sighted in that regard. Secondly, do we see that the harvest is plentiful? Do we see that the harvest is plentiful or full as Jesus saw it? Verse 37, he said unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. It is full, a full, plentiful harvest. So he changes his metaphors now, his, his images from sheep and shepherds to harvesting and laborers. But his idea is still the same. What's the harvest? What's the harvest? Remember, Matthew is a very Jewish book with ties to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, I believe, clearly shows us what the harvest is. Isaiah chapter 17, the prophet says, The harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. Well, that's not a positive explanation or description of the harvest, is it? The day of grief, of desperate sorrow. What's the harvest? Judgment. Coming judgment. Joel chapter 3. There the prophet says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Again, it speaks of judgment. In that context, it was speaking of future judgment for Israel, but nonetheless, it's future judgment. Let me, while you listen carefully, let me read a couple of texts of Scripture for you that speak of this whole issue of the harvest, the judgment, the sickle. Uh, first is Revelation chapter 14. And listen for the word, or how many times I read the word sickle. And you get the idea what the writer is talking about. Revelation chapter 14. John says, Then I looked, behold, a white cloud, and on that cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. He's warning of judgment. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle third time on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the earth, of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth. 
and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. How many times? Six, seven times he mentioned sickle. But clearly, it's judgment. It's the coming wrath of God when the harvest is full and ready. Reaching the sickle. Do the work. And then, back in Matthew, one other portion. That's the the parable of the wheat and the tares. In Matthew 13, he says, He put forth another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good feed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so you have, you have good stalks of grain, of wheat, but you have the tares, the, the weeds, the destructive aspect of the field. And so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? But he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? You know, the tares? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. Another picture of judgment. Warning. Warning of judgment. Do we see that the harvest is plentiful and ready to be harvested primarily for judgment? So every person that you and I meet, probably in that field, they're either saved or lost. A wheat or a tear. They're either on the broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road. Do we see clearly as Jesus did? Thirdly, lastly, do we see ourselves as laborers? As laborers. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, humanly speaking, the task was too big, too vast for Jesus. Yes, he was the, the son of God, but as, 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 a, as a man, he could only be in one place, one time, focusing on one person or one group of people. He couldn't reach everyone, even in his own country, even in Galilee. And so there's the reason and the need to begin to involve others in the work. He begins to involve the disciples in the work. His final words, or one of his, some of his final words to the disciples and beyond, are go into all the world, preach the gospel. Go. Go everywhere. In Acts chapter 1, he speaks and says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, where you live, and in all Judea, a little further out in the area, 
in Samaria, another just a little further out, you know, cross-cultural ministry, and to the ends of the earth, everywhere, everywhere. Well, the disciples are gone. They're, they're long gone. That, that first generation of believers, long gone. But you and I are here. We are here. And God has given us two things. God has given us his word. And God has given us his spirit that lives in us as his people. And those two things are just as good as having Jesus with us physically. We need nothing else. And so he would say the same to us. You have my word. You have my spirit in you. So go. Go. We're the laborers. We're the workers. See, it's not just the Cosgroves or the other missionaries that we support. It's not just our pastor. It's not just an evangelist. But it's me and you. It's the people of God. Christians just like you and me. And that's a familiar text to me and probably to you, but it is a sobering, sobering text. It ought to be. Do we see others as Jesus did? Do we see others as lost, needing the good shepherd, needing the Savior? Scripture says he came to seek. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The greatest need that anyone you will ever meet is not being successful, but it's being saved. The greatest need is not being healed. You know, you may pray for someone and that person might get healed. That's great. But he's still lost. Then what do we do? The greatest need is salvation. Do you see yourself as a laborer who is needed in that harvest field that is ripe for judgment, ready for judgment? The Apostle Paul writes, and I think it's in uh, is it 2 Corinthians, he says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's strong language. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So, what do we do? What can we do in relation to the challenge this morning? Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody about Jesus, the gospel. And maybe you're praying for someone's salvation, as, as I am. Well, maybe God's trying to tell you that instead of just praying for that person, for his salvation, you are the person to go and talk to him or her about salvation. Talk to someone. Hand a person a tract. We've got a lot of them, good tracts out on the, the rack, on the back table as, as you leave the church. Hand somebody a tract, a booklet, a good Christian DVD. Invite someone to church so they can hear the gospel here, but in some way allow them to hear the gospel. 
May God help us to see people as clearly as Jesus did. And I don't know, maybe you're here this morning, you've heard this message as you do most every Sunday morning, but you have never, ever trusted Christ for yourself. You've still not experienced the, the forgiveness of your own personal sins. Then you're on that broad road, same road I was on. And you're on that that broad road that goes to one place, judgment, eternal judgment. But the good news is, God did something about that. God did something about that. He did something that you could never do on your own without him. He sent Jesus, who came to seek and to save you. So much so that he died for you. Well, that's the love of God. That was was foreign to the Pharisees. He died for you. He took the penalty for your sin that by rights you should pay one day. And he said, I'll pay it for you. I'll pay it in your place. Scripture says if you'll see yourself as God sees you as a sinner on that broad, hopeless road, if you'll turn from that, if you'll repent of sin and turn to Jesus, Son of God who came because he loved you and died for you. And if you'll trust Jesus as your personal Savior from sin, he'll save you, give you a new life, And you'll experience the the, the forgiveness of sin. And what he does, he plucks you off of that broad road. Takes you over here to the narrow road that leads to life eternal. What more could you want? What more could you ask for? And it's done by faith. It's done by faith in Jesus Christ and his work. Alone, So I, I don't know your heart this morning, but if that's your need, do something about it. For the rest of us, may the Lord help us to see people as clearly as Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we need grace. We need your help, your strength, just to, to see as Jesus did. To get beyond, to get past the superficial, to the heart of the issue. God, give us uh, courage to speak, courage to, to love, as Jesus does. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.